Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Hello and welcome to Coindesk TV. I am Zach Seward. You are watching the hash. We are joined today by Will Foxley, Wendy O, and Jen Sinassi to get you up to speed here on a Wednesday, the last day of August, actually. All right. Leading us off today is Wendy. Wendy, what's up? So we're going to talk about SBF visiting the White House. So Sam has been in the news recently for a couple of different things. So he went ahead and visited the White House to essentially speak on behalf of the crypto industry. As most of you know, there are currently battle going on in the White House with the CFTC and the SEC who should have control or the say so and lay the law down when it comes to crypto. So he went there for that. And then he was recently interviewed by Bloomberg and he talked about some of the mixed results he had from the different crypto bailouts as some of those are still going on. I actually want to toss this over to Jen for her thoughts. I want to talk about the bailouts first. I think it's not surprising to see that there were mixed results, right? We saw SBF and FTX get involved in bailing out a lot of companies that were in distress because of the Terra Luna fallout. And I don't think it's a surprise that there are any mixed results. But I love SBF. He's starting to sound like a politician. He's really not giving us anything. He's silly playing it safe. In the Bloomberg article, he says, you know, he doesn't mind whether the SEC or CFTC regulates the industry. But then if you look at the Coindesk article, FTX does currently have a proposal before the CFTC that says the agency should settle crypto related transactions. So I just think SPF is getting really good at playing it safe in the media. And that is my takeaway from this story. Will, what do you think? There's some great nuggets in this story. The first one I want to talk about is Voyager and BlockFi. Really interesting to see that SPF is saying that Voyager was a bad purchase, bad loan. I think they lost 70 million, he says. But BlockFi was not. And that's because they have the option to purchase it, it seems. Also because BlockFi is a really solid team, he says in this interview. BlockFi just ran through their cash flow. They burned out through their treasury. They didn't have a lot of options, but they have a solid product, they have a solid team, and they're still there. Really interesting to see that. And I, I like how just he's flat out about it. He kind of owns it. I also like later in the story how he's talking 
about to his team. He's like, your goal is to not get our faces ripped off. Your goal is not to make us a fortune. It's for us to make okay deals. And for looking at this, this, this huge brand, FTX, that just kind of popped on the spot after 2019, it's fascinating to like, think about what's going on inside the shop and how this brand has been so successful. Because it's been huge, right? It's made so much money. Everyone's looking at this darling unicorn of the last bull cycle and wondering what is like the leadership behind the current and what's it like to be on this team. And I think we get a little glimpse of that with the decision-making on the deal-making here. Zach, up to you. Yeah, I want to go quickly to the Washington influence, right? This has been a long-term play from Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, big-time sponsor of the Joe Biden campaign last time around. I think it was the second or third single largest donor to the Biden campaign. So the fact that he has a little bit of sway uh, in the administration would make sense, right? And I think, obviously, he's becoming sort of a celebrity of the crypto world. And Samcoin is, is surging when it comes to political capital. So it would make sense that he'd be in D.C., having these conversations and credit to him for being open about sort of the inner workings of uh, the allegations of him being the JP Morgan of the crypto world, the guy coming in and, and saving the day. Yeah, the fact that this is out there, I think doesn't say a ton to me, does indicate that, yeah, he's becoming one of those trusted figures who can go to DC and get a meeting and, and have these conversations. And I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. And I don't know if there's anyone else sort of rivaling him for that cachet in the DC scene right now. Surely behind the scenes, ex-regulators working on behalf of various venture capital firms are likely having similar conversations. But in terms of industry figurehead, it seems as though SBF has sort of taken the mantle for some of these regulatory conversations in the nation's capital. Wendy, I think I saw your hand though. I'm going to toss it your way. In the article, from what Will said, Sam said that BlockFi was profitable or could be profitable from what I understand. So I wonder if any of the regulation that Sam's trying to push is also going to help with some of the loans and different types of passive income that you can earn on BlockFi. So if it will be kind of restructured and remodified so we can actually use these CFI platforms, because it is a lot easier to use them instead of going to the bank for a loan. Like it's almost impossible to get a loan from the actual bank. From my personal experience, if you want to get a loan, you have to kind of do so at one of those check and cash places or use your credit card. And those interest rates are high. Well, let's move to another story, a little bit different, going to Ukraine, talking about a Russian arms dealer who has been blocked by Binance because of his affiliation with Russia and supplying arms to the front. This is a nice scoop from Anna Batikova, who uh, herself actually left Russia over this war. So just really poignant place for Coinbase to be a part of this story. Shout out to Anna for her work, uh, of course. This story is really interesting because we see crypto being used for arms dealership. And then we also see like basically a Web2 company or I'd say a centralized point being able to limit or censor the use of crypto because this crypto was held on an exchange. This crypto was not held on exchange. This person would be able to keep funneling it in and out of the country. Another addition to this story, of course, is the fact that this person was using crypto or choosing to use crypto to make these arms deals and make these arms trades. Notably, it wasn't a large amount of the donations or purchases uh, were made in crypto. They're actually normally made in different local currencies or different Russian-based banks. Uh, but it's still important to note that crypto is taking up a larger and larger percentage, even if small, year over year in some of these international conflicts that a lot of Western powers do not want to see crypto being a part of. Zach, I want to throw this one up to you and get your take on the story. These stories are always a good reminder that there is the intermediating layer in the crypto economy that is represented by the exchanges that have to comply with law. And 
if this is a request from a government, more times than not, intermediating companies will comply with the law. So it's always good to use these opportunities to say, okay, this is sort of the fintech layer of the crypto stack. And then below it on chain is where such things such as this can't be immediately censored, right? We've seen sort of uh, OFAC sanctions roll out to the wallet level, but on chain, these are things that intermediating layer of companies can't interfere with, right? So I think the I think the question, like sometimes you see sort of this misunderstanding, it's like, oh, how decentralized really is crypto? No, it's not that it's not a decentralized network that is an open ledger that is immutable and open to all. It's that, no, there are these companies who sit atop these networks who do have to comply with the law or they run afoul of local regulations and it's major detriment to their business. So I think when I see stories like this being like, oh, okay, assets frozen, it's because there's the Binance in the equation here, right? So I think it's important to stress that. And for me, I think I just use it as an opportunity to unpack that distinction between, again, on-chain assets and those that are held in a custodial relationship with an exchange. Jen, I'm going to throw it to you though for thoughts. Yeah, just to riff off of what you were saying, I think in many ways, to access these decentralized platforms or to access Web3, we still need Web2. And I think that there's a little bit of a misconception when people are trying to learn about what's going on here. We still need, a lot of us still need Web2 platforms to access some of this technology that we're talking about. In the article, Binance says that any government or law enforcement agency can make a lawful request and Binance will apply the same level of scrutiny as any leading bank, financial institution, or multinational company. And so it is a great reminder that these companies, while offering alternatives to what the banks are offering, they still need to abide by the laws of the jurisdictions that they are operating in. Because especially if they're Binance, you know, Binance has had um, a lot of issues with regulators in the past. And so they still need to abide by the law. This isn't a way to get around any kind of laws in any jurisdictions. Wendy, what do you got? I like the comparison you made from Web 2 to Web 3. And I also want to say that I don't think there's a whole lot of Web 3 platforms out there that are really usable. And if they are, who's using them besides crypto people, if you think about it? I mean, and then also, too, in addition to this, like I remember throughout the entire bull market, finance kept getting slammed. They got slammed time and time again. But it was really cool to kind of see them survive through the entire bull market and come out almost on top. So I'm happy for CZ and Binance. I just wish we can use them in the United States and not have to use Binance US. I miss Binance. Or at least you have Binance US. In Canada, we got nothing. You don't? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It never fails to amaze me the things that they don't have in Canada. Like, what was it? PayPal? Cash app? None of that stuff? (laughs) We have PayPal. We don't have cash app. We email money to each other. It's crazy up here. Every time this comes up, I'm just mind blown. Canada. (laughs) Crazy stuff. And people wanted to move to Canada. (laughs) I mean, it's still nice. We just don't Mm, have some stuff. Yeah, convincing us. (laughs) Oh, wait, Jen, do you guys have corn though? We got corn. And that is something to celebrate. (laughs) Good times. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. 
Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. I learned that I have no idea who Corn Kid is, and I'm clearly out of the loop. All right, oh, back Zach, to Zach, business. Zach. Boomer so problems. Just kidding. I so hear you, old. man. I hear you. It's okay. All right. But, <laughs> hey, back to business. Let's talk about IP here. Intellectual property licensing in the realm of NFTs is a bit of a mess. And A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, big old venture capital firm with big old crypto bags, wants to propose a standardized framework for making licensing in the NFT space make sense. I know this topic is near and dear to Jen's heart, so I'm going to just throw it straight <laughs> to her for immediate take. What do you think about A16Z, okay. uh, you know, uh, sounding the alarm on NFT licensing. So here are my thoughts. A16Z references Creative Commons and they want to create standardized licensing for NFTs, just like Creative Commons created standardized licensing for content online. I think this is great, but I think the promise of NFTs really is that you have more ownership over your work, meaning that you just don't get credited for that work, but you get paid for it, right? No matter who uses it? NFTs have this promise that the smart contract will allow you to get paid in an easier way than before. By creating a creative commons for NFTs, I think we begin to solve that problem, but we don't solve the, I can create something, license it and get paid for it problem. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done. Zach, you're right to say that it's kind of really messy right now, but there are a lot of startups out there who are thinking about this in different ways. And I think we can start with the creative commons for NFTs. But for NFTs to be successful and Web3 to really bring that promise of ownership to light, we need to figure out a way where it is easy and not expensive for creators to set licensing terms to their work. Because right now, it is very hard, it is very expensive, and, and creators aren't getting paid. Will, what do you think? Interesting story because of where A16Z sits within the stack, right? NFT stuff is obviously near and dear to the programs that they've launched and the funds they've invested in. And so them coming alongside and helping this out is interesting. I'd be interested from a VC standpoint to know of like, is this pretty common for other VC firms to launch things like this? We've seen some other stuff from A16Z where they like build this little adjacent crypto parties to sort of helped out their teams or help out the industry. And that's funny because A16Z is always sort of chided by other people in the industry for not really helping out crypto, but always being on their own little program or tasks. But here we see something that's probably pretty altruistic, right? They're trying to help out all NFT holders. And I think the name of the project itself is like, don't be evil NFT scheme, right? They're trying to allow anyone to take ownership of their NFT and use it for creative purposes. Just like we saw the other day with that very odd Eminem and whoever the other rapper was skit at the VMAs. That was just... Snoop Dogg, Well, I can't with the people on this show anymore. (laughs) You better not come to the LBC, Will. He's updated, man. You see that giant joint? Yeah, that was so cringy. I don't even want to talk about it. I should have brought it up in the first place. Zach, to you. I'll toss that to Wendy. She's ready to go in from from the west side. So what what do you got, Wendy? You know what? It's okay. I'll still take you to get some tacos, Will. It's okay. I think that this is great. I like to see people with money doing good things for the underdogs because I'm an underdog myself. And I really do think that the NFT space is going to be the pinnacle for mass adoption. They, I just think they have a lot of utility. You can get creative with them. And I feel like it's not as played out as the crypto industry, even though they're essentially the same thing, but different. Zach, back to you. 
Just do a quick little will fact check. It's been a while since I got to do a will fact check. It's not don't be evil. It's can't be evil, which is a riff on Google, which deep cut can't be evil was a block stack (laughs) marketing campaign for a hot minute there back in like 2019. Block stack, now stacks. They were in on Web3 early, pivoted to building a top Bitcoin. But anyway, can't be evil as something that is uniquely Web3 and an improvement upon former Web2 mottos back in the lexicon. So that's the story and I'm sticking to it. All right. Who's got the last story of the day? Is it Jen? Jen, it's you. I got the last story. Our favorite segment. Sports Disc. All right. So Ticketmaster has announced that it will be using Dapper Labs Flow blockchain for minting tickets as NFTs. So over the past six months, Dapper and Ticketmaster have been quietly operating a pilot program where the ticketing company issues ticket NFTs as memorabilia to attendees of certain events like the Super Bowl. Over the last six months, they have minted 5 million NFTs for people to hold as memorabilia. So this is going to continue being a select program. Not all tickets on Ticketmaster will come with these NFTs, but certain events will have this option. I think there's a hundred NFL games where people will be able to to use this. I think it is an obvious use case. It's something that people have been talking about in the NFT industry since we started talking about all of the different use cases for NFTs. Wendy, what do you think of Ticketmaster partnering with Dapper? I think it's their, uh, that's an interesting partnership. I'm excited about it. I think it is so cool that you can essentially have like every single big event you went to that is directly tied to your wallet, to who you are on the internet. It's part of the metaverse. It's part of Web3. And it's just kind of cool. It's almost like a flex pick. Okay, look, I went to all of these different concerts. My daughter's father in the... I won't I won't date him. My daughter's father, he went to a bunch of really, really great rock concerts, like back to back, like every week, every month for like a couple of years. And he doesn't have those tickets anymore, but he's got the stories. So how cool would that be? Because my daughter loves music for him to pull up his public address and say, look at, I went here, here, here. This is who I saw. This is, you know, this is when I did it, X, Y, Z. And I just think it's really cool. And it's a great way to kind of record storytelling instead of using hieroglyphics on some stone slab. Zach? Mm, hieroglyphic NFT collection. Yeah, I was like, where are you going? But that's, that was a great... uh, Got to get on that allow list. All right, uh, Jen, I was going to ask you a question, right? So this is just like the ticket stub. This is like the memorabilia part of the equation. This is not actual NFT ticketing. Here, I have a ticket. It's mine. I can sell it. I can do whatever. This is like just the stub itself as a collector item, correct? That's right. So it's the the stub as memorabilia. Uh, Ticketmaster has created a little marketplace and wallet where you can showcase your stubs and trade them. I see that they were very careful with their language. There's no mention of selling them or anything like that. You can trade them, which I thought was interesting because you'll have that ticket memorabilia that proves you went to an event, right? But if you're trading them, now people could you know, have a, a ticket for an event that they didn't go to, which feels... I don't want to say fraudulent. I mean, it feels I don't deceptive know. Could, to me. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a market for like, you know, collectibles of that. Say you're like... Uh, the band super fan and you weren't alive in 1976 but you're a That's huge true. fan of the last waltz and you're like hey i want to buy a stub from someone who was there i could see there being potentially a market for that i mean honestly this is kind of baby steps toward real utility for these nfts maybe 
And honestly, like that Ticketmaster involved is kind of weird because like ideally ticket NFTs, like NFT ticketing could unseat some of these big middlemen that you're paying ridiculous fees to, to go see someone that you really care about, right? So I think NFT ticketing is actually more interesting if it's direct from artist to fan, mm -hmm. right? Instead of artist, ticket master, fan. So I think if this is baby steps towards something where it could be integrated by the actual artists themselves or the actual teams themselves in this instance, I'm more interested in that. Uh, if this is just some other sort of digital tchotchke that like Ticketmaster is trying to attach its name to, I'm less interested in that, but I'll toss it to Wendy. And the only thing I want to say about the evil middleman Ticketmaster is that they might not be able, it might be a liability for the artist to sell the tickets themselves. So they have somebody like Ticketmaster do that. I don't know the logistics of that, but that was the first thought that came to my mind. I think it's interesting that it's Dapper because Dapper, you know, they have NBA Top Shot, they have partnerships with the league. So maybe there's some kind of hybrid of the solution that you've just mentioned that could come from this. Flow has been built to support the mass market. And this is another thing that's very in keeping with that ethos, according to a Dapper Labs executive. So yeah, we've seen other experiments on Polygon. This will not be the only ticketing experiment to go live on a blockchain near you. But yeah, Ticketmaster, Dapper Labs, fun to watch. We'll see what happens. All right, that's it for the show today. Will is still nodding. I appreciate that about him. His commitment to the Always nodding here. bit. He's here for you. I appreciate that. All right, I'm Zach. That's Wendy. Will was mentioned. And there's Jen. We're The Hash. We're coming to you live on Coindesk TV. We're also on the podcast network. So check that out. If you haven't already, great place to listen to us on the go. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for sticking with us here today. And we'll catch you later. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 